I want to let you know about one thing real quick um, before, uh, two things I want to say before we get into the text. Um, coming up, um, there's going to be an image on the screen. Um, coming up in, uh, later in September, I want to let you know about something that's happening uh, in Bolivar, Missouri. Um, we have we have had some partnership with His Voice Global um, several months ago. Um, His Voice Global came to North Church, and um, we did a little Q and A Q&A with them, and we kind of promoted what they're doing. And they've started several orphanages in Sudan, and they've started a, a children's home um, in India. Um, well, they're partnering with a church that, w- that you're going to be hearing a lot about really soon called Freshwater Church in Bolivar. Um, Freshwater Church in Bolivar is a church that we're going to begin partnering with um, to do some um, uh, work overseas. Uh, they have partnerships in um, India and Africa. And so you're going to begin to hear about opportunities that we're talking with their missions pastor, who's one of my, one of my best friends, um, to go to the nations um, with the gospel. And so this is an incredible weekend um, that I just want to put out there. Danielle and I are going to try to go to this. Um, it's an all-weekend thing, and we're going to try to go. And what they're doing is they're going to be teaching on um, what, what's a holistic view of missions um, locally, internationally. How does it infiltrate in your family, in your workplace? Um, and so and some incredible speakers, and so uh, it's an incredible cause. And I just want to let you know about that. And if you're interested in being a part of that or want more information, talk to me. Um, you can also go to, to their website, hisvoiceglobal.com, and get more information. Um, I, I want to pray, and when I pray, here's what I want to pray about. Um, we're so blessed to be here. Um, you, you probably don't feel that as, as much as I feel that, as much as Rick feels that, as much as Mike feels that. Um, but I can't tell you how hospitable this church is. I had the privilege of preaching for them last week and to be in this room. Um, they've, I don't know that I've ever asked them anything that they've told me no. So I just want to pray this morning and, 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 and pray for God to meet with us. But I want to pray for Trinity Church um, because uh, I just want to pray God's blessing over them. So, so why don't we pray? God, I thank you so much for this morning. And God, I, I'm just so blessed by Scott um, and Kyle and the leadership here at Trinity. And God, they're just, um, they're just filled with you. And they have a, a, a passion to reach this community. And uh, God, I just thank you for their hospitality to just open up their gym, to open up their kids' space, to say, yeah, come share space with us, um, to let us have membership classes here. God, so blessed by them. So I just pray for this building. I pray for this, this body. I pray for what you're doing in this church. And God, I pray your spirit's presence. I pray that, that they would see lives changed by the gospel. Is that's what they're praying for. Is that's what they're seeking to do. I've got to look forward to future partnerships and through iHeart North County and what we did with the back to school fair. And um, So God, I'm just so encouraged. And so I pray for them. I pray for their service this morning. Um, I pray that you would um, minister to them and speak to them. Um, God, we're blessed. And God, as we get into First Peter, um, and God, as we look at your holy nature, um, would you teach us? Would you guide us? Um, would we walk in obedience to you? In Christ's name, amen. Okay, go to First Peter. If you're not there, um, go there. Uh, here's what's going to happen. Um, this morning, uh, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be talking very intensely about identity. Um, 
about identity. And, and if you want to know more about identity, here's an incredible book that wrecked my life by Neil Anderson called Who I Am in Christ. It's on the back of your bulletin. You need to get that and read that book. It's unbelievable. But um, identity, and here, here's what I mean by identity. I believe that the majority of, of our struggle with sin, the majority of our disobedience to the Lord is directly tied to our misunderstanding of our identity of what our identity is as children of the living God. And so we're gonna, that's going to be an underlying theme as, as I teach this Sunday and the next two Sundays as we walk through First Peter. Um, so I just want to show you that. Um, the very first word of our text is therefore. Um, so I want to summarize in a sentence uh, 1 through 12. And, and here's, here's the overarching reality that banners everything we're going to do this morning in First Peter. It, it, it's this, okay? And here's the summary. That God is the hero of our faith. That God is the hero of our salvation. And that he's even going to use suffering as a means to purify and make greater and stronger our faith in him. Okay? That, that's, that's the summary of the first 12 verses that we've taught through thus far, and now we're going to get into verse 13 that says, therefore, which means what? In light of that, here's what happens. So um, let's jump to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so in light of this great Savior, this great salvation, you need to set your hope on something. Okay, I'm going to give you several truths this morning, and I'm going to give you several cautions. Okay, here's the first truth this morning, uh, that, that true saving faith produces a changed life. Okay, I had a professor in, in Bible college that harped on this all the time. There's like, I had, we had students in, in class that just joked around that if you just wrote CL on your test, you'd get an A. Because he was so big on, if you're a believer, your life will be changed. Okay? And that's what, that's what the text says this morning. You will think and, and act differently. You will process things differently. Your life will look differently. Now, now look back at the text. Um, when we look at verse 13, verse 13 is a hinge verse or a bridge verse that connects 1 through 12 with 14 and following. Okay? So it's going to really propel us into the rest of our text this morning. So we need to really grasp it. Um, it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope on the grace of Christ. Okay, the main idea in that verse is what? Set your hope on Christ, right? Okay, but it's, it, notice the, if you're familiar with English, the gerund phrases, the two I-N-G words, okay? That it's like, as you are doing these things, set your hope on Christ. Okay, so look at these two phrases. Preparing your minds for action. Okay, so th this idea of preparing your mind for action, it, it really doesn't come across well in the English, okay? Um, here's, what, here's what it means, Okay, imagine, um, it's a Semitic idiom, imagine Middle Eastern culture where um, you have a, a guy wearing this long gown, okay, and imagine um, he wants to um, begin to walk swiftly or run, what he's going to do is he's going to bend down and he's going to grab his robe and he's going to, as the literal meaning is, he's going to gird up the loins of his robe and he's going to pull them up and he's going to either put him in his belt or tie them around, and what it's going to do is it's going to give freedom to his legs to be able to run. Okay, this is why in the story of the prodigal son, the idea that the father ran to the son was unheard of. 
okay? Um, a lot of times they just didn't do that in those cultures, but when they did, like, it was serious business. Like, they got down, they grabbed their robe, they pulled it up. Okay, here's how it would translate today. It'd be like, like okay, rolling up your sleeves, okay? You go to wash dishes and you pull your sleeves up, you don't want to get them dirty. It's like, you're, you're diving in. When you roll up your sleeves, you're, you're diving in, okay? Um, that's, that's what's happening here. Intentionality. Preparing your minds for action carries this idea of spiritual alertness, okay, that, that is built into this identity. Okay, now how? What's the next phrase? By being sober-minded. Now let's think about this idea of being sober-minded, okay? Um, not only is this a qualification of elders and deacons within the church, but it's the biblical teaching of every believer that we live sober-minded. Okay, now, now what does that mean? Okay, so let's go with the analogy that, that we're all thinking of, um, alcohol. Um, in sobriety, let's, let's go with that. When, when you're intoxicated, you, you, you have the inability to process well. You have the inability to know your surroundings. You have the inability to really understand where you're at, what you're doing. It's like, how did I get here? I was just there. I have no clue. How did I end up? Okay. You're not alert at all. Right? Okay. Um, now, it, it uses that example to show us spiritual alertness is tied to this idea that our minds are alert to Christ. But hang on. Here's what we have to know. Several times in Scripture... Several times in Scripture, there's this connection. The illustration of Holy Spirit filling is what? Drunkenness. Okay? Several times in Scripture, the, the Bible illustrates what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is illustrated through what it means to be drunk, which is this. You're filled with a power that is not your own. Something other than you is controlling your mind and your emotions and your body to act in ways that you normally would not do. Okay? So, this idea of rolling up the sleeves of your mind, of getting to the place where, okay, I'm alert, is directly tied to a surrender to the Spirit Okay, you follow me? A surrender to the Spirit because as, because what I don't want you to hear is I just need to be alert and it's this man-made thing. But no, the, the scriptures are going to push us to know alertness is tied to the Spirit of God empowering you. Okay, now, as we roll up the sleeves of our mind, imagine like preparing for a calculus final. Okay, that's kind of what, what comes in my head when I think of um, spiritual alertness. Um, sorry, some of you think calculus is from hell. Um, I don't have an answer for that. Anyway, um, it goes on to say this. Look at the next part. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the thing. You see the word fully? Set your hope fully. Do you know what that does? That does not allow us to make it a hobby. When you fully do something, it's not really a hobby. So when it says set your hope fully, Fully, it means it encompasses all of your life. Everything that you do, all the time, set your hope fully on Christ. On the hope, this idea that the revelation of Jesus Christ, this futuristic reality of grace that gives us hope for this present time. Okay, now here's the second truth. And we're going to talk about identity a little bit more. That this changed life is a result of identity. Okay, the changed life 
is a result of our identity. What's our identity? You're holy. You're like, no, I'm not. You weren't with me last week. Okay, if, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you're holy. And in fact, the scripture uses a word, saint, that literally means holy one. Okay, so if you're a Christian, now we don't always act as who we are. In college all the time, we'd, we'd get together as guys and we'd talk about what's going on in our life. We'd confess sin and my roommate would tell me, Dave, that's not you. Quit living in a way that's not you. And that's what he meant. It's like you're living outside of your identity. Sanctification is becoming in practice who you already are in the eyes of God. Now, now here's, a, here's a caution. Um, actually, let's read 14 and then I'll give the caution. 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here's a caution that I want to give us. Okay? Specifically for our context, okay? In emphasizing the work of Christ, in emphasizing the, the, the righteousness of Christ, we cannot negate personal holiness. We cannot negate the call in this text to pursue holiness. Now, they're not diametrically opposed, okay? They go together because the righteousness of Christ that's given to us gives us an identity to live holy lives. Does that make sense? Okay, so gospel-centeredness, cross-centeredness, Christ-centeredness does not mean an absence of holy living because, well, Christ did it for me. No, it means that that's going to lead me to live a holy life. Okay, now let's define holiness um, f- for God. Here, here's what it is. The majesty of God and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. Okay, the purity and moral perfection of his nature. So, so he, here's the idea that just as he cannot but know what is right, like, he know, like you ever pray and you're like, God, I just know you know what to do here. Okay, and just in that sense, he cannot but help but do what is right because it is within his nature. Okay, it's like, well, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Well, that's a terrible thought because God can't do something that would go outside of his nature. Some of you are going to think on that the whole rest of the time and I'm, you're, you're gone. Anyway, First um, John puts it like this. Um, talking about the perfection of, of God. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, so the holiness of God is the absolute freedom from evil. God is absolutely free from evil. Habakkuk puts it like this, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Like, I think we forget that. I think we need to be awakened to the offensiveness of sin before a holy God. He cannot tolerate wrong. That's why he crucified his son. Okay? Now, you're saying, well, what about, what about believers? What about the sin I commit? What happens with that? Well, let me give you some biblical evidence that God hates sin in the lives of Christians and that he will punish it. Okay? Some, some classic characters. David, 
King David, amazing, and known as a man after God's own heart who committed adultery and murder. And in 2 Samuel, God says, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. Meaning that there will be animosity and enmity and evil. You know, look at David's life. What did he do? He spent the majority of his life running from King Saul who wanted to kill him. It's a fulfillment of this. And it's still carried out today. Moses, incredible leader, incredible man of God, after one act of disobedience, of unbelief, he was excluded from the land of Canaan after many years of faithful service. God, punished, it's God punishing disobedience. Jonah, like we trivialized Jonah and we're like, oh, you know, look, you know, look, Johnny, cute little Jonah is in the belly of a whale. Like, and I show the story to my daughter and she's like, daddy, is that a fish carcass in there? Like, you know, it's like this fun little story, but like a fish ate him. Like he was imprisoned in the belly of a whale as a disob, as a punishment for his sin before a holy God. So God could awaken him to stop running from him and run to him. It's not just a cute story. Okay, God is serious about sin. Okay, other encounters of, of, of God's holiness. Okay, you have Moses who, what happened? He asked to see God and God's like, I'll show you my back. You ever send somebody a text, hey, can I see a picture of you? Well, yeah, I got one on my back, you can see. Like, that's not really what you're looking for, right? Okay, um, God is so holy, so perfect that what happened? It's like, you can't see me. You can't see my face. You will be struck down. Isaiah, vision of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He saw the holiness, the, the, the holy presence of God, and he was undone. We could, you, could go, you should read Revelation 4 and 5, the account of the angels who are continually with God, and all they say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, so what does this, what does this mean for us? Okay, hang with me, because I'm going to illustrate this here in just a sec. Here, here's what it means for us. Okay, what does it mean for us to be holy? To conform thinking and behavior to God's character. So it's like, I'm going to seek to live like Jesus. Do you read the Gospels? You should try to read the Gospels often because it shows us how to live out the commands of God. Because that's what Jesus did. Um, I, I love uh, this book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. He says, uh, we need to cultivate in our hearts the same hatred of sin God has. Hatred of sin as sin, not just as something disquieting or defeating to ourselves, but as displeasing to God. This is what lies at the root of all true holiness, okay? Because I think we have this tendency to be like, yeah, I'm just kind of struggling, like, you know, my sin is defeating me, and I'm just, it, you know, it just puts me in this place where I just don't really feel good, and um, yeah, it's just displeasing to me. Um, it's displeasing to God. David, when he confesses in Psalm 15, what does he say? Against you, you only have I sinned. Well, what? Didn't you sin against Uriah? Didn't you sin against Bathsheba? Yeah, but that's so small in comparison to the offense against the holy God who does forgive, I want to add. Okay, so um, here's the best way I've heard it to illustrate it. 
Imagine my daughter, who's three and a half, at Boston. Is he four and a half? Okay. Imagine if they um, got in a fight. And they're both pretty scrappy kids, lots of energy. Okay, imagine if they, if we put them in a ring and they went at it. Okay, like I think it'd be, I think it'd be pretty fun to watch. Now, I know where I put my money, but um, anyway, um, I think it'd be pretty fun to watch. You know, you'd see some hair pulling and some biting and probably some open hand hits and some attempts to kick and like, um, you know, probably some squeezing of the head. My daughter's really good at that one. Um, and, uh, and so it'd be, it'd be a pretty good fight, right? Okay, now, what, what if I all of a sudden said, um, Mikhail, this, this, he's messing with you? I got this, babe. Why don't you just step over here? And so I went in the ring. So Boston, you messing with my daughter? And so I fought Boston. You're like, really? One kick, done. Right? Just an illustration, guys. Just an illustration. <laughs> okay. Okay, now no, here, here's, here's the point. Holiness. The otherness of God is like a 29-year-old fighting a 4-year-old. There's no shot. He's done. Okay, and what we like to do is we like to be, you know, 3- and 4-year-olds that look at other 3- and 4-year-olds and be like, you know, I'm pretty even, and I'm, or I'm doing a little better, and da-da-da-da. I'm like, like, no. Before a holy God, you have nothing. Nothing. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it like this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay? With holiness, it's required to see the Lord. That's what it's saying. I didn't make it up. Read the text. Now here, here's my other caution. It's this. Um, don't use brokenness as an excuse for your sin. I think we've got to be really careful with this. Well, I'm just broken. It's like your boss being like, why are you even doing a horrible job? Well, boss, I'm just tired. Well, figure it out. Quit being tired. Get some sleep. Or you're gone. Okay, now apply that illustration only so far. But do, do you see what I'm saying? We can rest in, I'm just broken. Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, the world is just broken. And so what, what it does is it gives us a small tolerance for sin in the name of brokenness. Now, I'm not denying brokenness. I'm not denying my own brokenness. But what I'm saying is that the holiness of God demands that sin be taken seriously. And where there is brokenness, we confess that reality. We name, yes, it's brokenness. But that doesn't mean sin is okay. That doesn't give us permission to just live out that brokenness. It gives us permission to deal with the brokenness in God's strength through the work of Christ on the cross. Okay, see how these marry together? These aren't diametrically opposed. The work of Christ, the holiness of God, demands that we be holy because at the center of the gospel is a holy God who calls us to himself and says, you're holy, you're mine. I give you my identity and we're going to work the rest of your time on earth to grow you in living that out. That's what's hard. That's the struggle. 
Okay, verse 14 says, it gives us this identity of obedient children. Okay, the, the passage in Colossians puts it like this. Um, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Peter just got done saying, don't conform to the patterns of your former ignorance. Okay, conform is this repetition that, that puts you in a mold. It's like, don't conform. Why? Because, because I've delivered you from that. Amen? I've delivered you from that. So don't live in that. It has no power over you. Sin has no power over you. And I'm afraid to say that I, I, I think we don't believe that this morning. Like, can you honestly sit here and say, sin has no power over me? It was destroyed through the work of Christ. And we grant it power. We plug the cord back in the outlet. We give it power, but it has no power over us. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each, one de- each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Okay, here's, here's the other truth. Live out your new ide- identity with eternal realities. Okay, here, here's the thing. Like, we're, we're not citizens of this place. You're a citizen of heaven. Your home is heaven. You don't move into a hotel forever. It's temporary. Right? This is temporary. And this text just got done saying, we need to live in that reality. Because the passage we just read said, he's delivered us from the dominion of darkness. And he's transferred us to a different kingdom. The kingdom of God. So we're citizens of heaven. Okay, even in that, notice that the text says at the beginning, 17, that God judges impartially. Okay, that's, what's that talking about? Christians receive punishment for their sin. Like we need to be reminded of that this morning. We teach Michaela that all the time. Disobedience brings punishment. Always. Do you think it's okay to fear God? It's interesting because this text says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exiles. Now, I'll admit, for, for most of my life, um, I, I've wanted to just really put that in a cute little, like, reverence. Let's just be reverent. Like, and I think that applies. But, but I think that the Scripture also talks about this idea, okay, that that when you're dealing with the idea that God is holy, and yes, we have perfect access to Him in the Son, okay, but I still think there's this reality that, like, it's discipline. I don't want to be disciplined by Him. Now, I know it's for His love. 
I know he loves me in that. But, but I, I think there also includes this reality where, I mean, I fear God's discipline. It's a loving act, but I don't want to be disciplined by the Lord. He's holy. He can't tolerate sin. Second Corinthians puts it like this. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I think we've lost this reality. I think we trivialize our sin as if it's not a big deal. Well, it's paid for. Well, there'll be a consequence, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He'll give me the strength to get through the consequence, right? We just trivialize the work of Christ. We trivialize the cross. And I believe we need to be awakened to that this morning. Because here's, here's your identity, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm really glad it doesn't stop there. Are you? If it stops there, we're in big trouble because none of us are getting there. Okay? But but look at this next phrase. And such were some of you. Were. Jeff, you got a Sharpie on you? Were. What, What is were? Come on, English majors. Past tense. So what's our identity? Those things aren't you. God, help us to live in our identity. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here's the other caution. I got ahead of myself. Don't trivialize the payment of Jesus. Don't. Like it, he ransomed you from these things. From the lifestyle of these things. He's ransomed you from it. He's purchased you through his blood. We talk about the blood of Christ all the time. We come up here and we take communion every single week and we focus on the cross every single week. If that doesn't propel us to aim to live holy, I'm not saying we're going to get it every time. I'm not saying there's not forgiveness. First John makes it clear that forgiveness is for Christians. So we relapse. We fall back into who we were. But sin is a big deal. Why? First Peter. Later we'll get this to this in two weeks. You, were, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God is jealous for you. He wants you. You are his. Like, I'm jealous for my kids. And when they run out from obedience, like, I don't want them to do that. I, I want them back. 
because I care for them. I love them. That's not their identity. That's what God's saying. You're mine. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. You're called out. That's what Rick talked about earlier. Ecclesia, the called out ones. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord God. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, this place isn't your home. As a visitor of this broken place, sinful place, Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Look at verse 20, and we'll wrap up. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. I'm back in First Peter, in case you're lost. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and and gave him glory so that, check this out, so that your faith and hope are in God. Not here, not the things of this world, not the, the pleasures of this world, but that they're in him. Because the truth of the matter is that holy living will produce authentic faith. And where there's not authentic faith, there's a question, I'm sorry, where there's not holy living, there's a question mark on authentic faith. Not that it's not present, but we can't know if it's present. There's no evidence in David's life, in the long season of his life, when he's committing murder and he's committing adultery, that he's a child of God. Because what, how do we know that? The Bible says that our evidence is the way we live. If I told you I was very much into health and very much into exercise and I loved working out, but I was very overweight and I ate garbage all the time. What's the evidence? You gonna believe me? No. And so I want I want to I want to leave you with Matthew seven, and then I want to invite Jeff and the and the band up to. to I want to celebrate the cross. I want to go back to the cross because without the cross, we have nothing. But I want to look at Matthew 7 and read this and say one thing and then we're going to celebrate the work of Christ. Matthew seven twenty one says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see that? But the one who does the will of my Father. Like that's God's design that when you're his, you'll live as his. And when you don't live as his, you'll run to him in repentance and beg him to enable you to live as his. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, and he will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is an unbelievably scary verse. And I just want to put this out for us, and I want to, I want to run to the cross. 
Because the truth of what the scripture is saying is that it's very possible for us to play the church game. It's very possible for us to be in community. It's very possible for us to look like we're living holy lives before the Lord and the Lord in the end of it say, no, you, you didn't know me. Relationally, you didn't know me. And so, where where are you at? You're struggling. I know. I'm too. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting sin in my life. But are you fighting sin in your life? Or are you just okay with the sin in your life? There's a big difference. Big difference. So I want to pray. We're gonna, Rick's going to come up and give some instructions on, on how, to, how to respond. But man, can we just invite, like, I know new room, like what are we doing here? What's going on? Like, can we just forget that garbage? Can we just invite the Holy, the presence of God here? Can we just run to the cross and just say, God, I'm struggling this morning. you're enough. Your cross is sufficient. And I want to run to it. For only in running to the cross can I live the life you've called me to live. Pray with me, God. God, I'm broken. God, we're all broken but we don't want that to be an excuse for the holy life you've called us to. We don't want that to be an excuse for living passionately in pursuit of a holy God. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would lead us to respond, to hear you, to run to you. God, would you enable us to see the cross? Would you enable us to see our sin? Would you enable us to know that we are absolutely accepted in you? But God, you want, to, you want us to deal with the sin in our lives because you are holy. God, thank you for your sacrifice. We love you. God, awaken us to the truth of your scripture and to walking in it this morning. In Christ's name, amen.